Where do babies come from? What's a child's greatest problem? How should we discipline our kids? Listen as Dave Wurtson, our Truth Encounter study leader, introduces our series, Your Kids and God, by talking to us about God's role as a parent. The truth of the matter is that there's going to be 11,000 babies born today in the United States. You know, you think about these little babies being born, uh, like we know that Kim's one of our ranchers and residents, and, and the truth of the matter is, when you go out and check your cattle, when a calf is born, in just a few minutes, it struggles to its feet, and, you know, I've seen like a fawn born, you'll see a deer born, and, and just in a few minutes, they're struggling to their feet, and they're beginning to get around, it's just incredible. In fact, almost all the animals in God's kingdom, they're able to relatively begin to do some things for themselves from the earliest period, but not us. The ones that are made in the image of God, our little babies can't do a blessed thing. In fact, it's going to take 168 hours, 24 hours, seven days a week to take care of your kids, of on-the-spot taking care of them. That's why some of our young parents are bleary-eyed this morning because you're, you're in that process. I'm just kidding a little bit. I tried to listen to some voices over the last several weeks getting ready for this new series on parenting. I began to listen to some of the, what the experts are telling you. you. You can imagine, you just bring this new baby home and this is what the experts in your culture begin to tell you. It says this is going to be the most challenging, complex task that you will ever attempt. In fact, Sigmund Freud that founded psychoanalysis, he wrote this. He said that, uh, that this was one of the three impossible professions. Isn't that comforting? This is one of the three impossible professions. The other two were, uh, one was governing nations. That's one of the impossible tasks. The other one was his field of psychoanalysis, of course. And then you taking care of your baby. So isn't that comforting? Today's experts also give statistics. I looked at some of the uh, statistics they give us. They talk about addictive behaviors. They talked about our kids getting infected with STDs. They talk about most of our kids going to end up in prison. Isn't that comforting? Then uh, Edward Ziegler, he's a family expert from Yale, he writes this. The growing incidence of such major social problems as poverty, homelessness, violence, crime, and substance abuse makes it difficult for parents to create a decent life for themselves much less protect their offspring from harm and plan for their children's future. As I look around even the room, a lot of you have moved away from your moms and dads. There used to be a day that you would be near your parents and your moms could come and you'd have extended family, you'd have grandparents, you'd have all this support. Now the moms have to jump on airplanes and then they go up in just a few days and it just is right in our own family. The networking that used to be present isn't there. And that raises another great difficulty in raising kids, that a lot of you have moved to a new area and you're away from the support group. It used to be that all this extension, the older ladies could teach the younger moms about what was coming and everything. And so that raises another struggle. So that as you're rocking your child, your little baby, your baby son, or your baby daughter about 2.30 in the morning, and you're rocking them, and, and you start to begin to look at the 18 years that lies ahead, I mean the 22 years that lies ahead, I mean the 30 years that lie ahead, you begin to throw your hands up in exasperation, like how in the world are we ever going to do that? Well, I got good news for you. Some really good news is that you're not in this responsibility of parenting alone just like we learned in marriage we're going to learn it when it comes to to jesus and our kids i want you to know that as you rock that little baby at 2 30 in the morning that you're not parenting alone 
that the living God from the beginning of the birth of your child, in fact, we're going to learn over the next several weeks from the time that your little baby was conceived in your womb until eternity breaks upon us, God is involved in every single detail of that child's life. That's an incredible thing. And what I want to talk to you about today is that parenting begins and ends with God. Parenting begins and ends with God. I want you to turn your Bible to Hebrews chapter 12. It's right, we're coming towards the end of the book of Hebrews, but in this passage where the writer is running to a group of people that are really debating about what they're going to do in their life spiritually, they're under attack. It's a new fledgling community of believers. A lot of them were from a Jewish background, and as they've accepted this Messiah named Jesus, a lot of their old friends have turned against them. And also the Roman authorities are beginning to turn against them. And a lot of them are in danger of saying, let's forget about this Jesus thing. Let's forget about this Jewish man that supposedly died on the cross because this whole idea of him dying on the cross brings great shame to us because throughout the Roman Empire, anyone that's crucified in a capital punishment as gruesome as that is under a curse and under shame. And when we talk about it, people reject us. And also, a lot of people just won't believe that he rose again from the dead. They won't believe that we found the truth. There's a tremendous temptation for this group of people reading the letter of Hebrews to turn away from Jesus. One of the challenges that the early church faced was, should we maintain this commitment to Jesus? And there weren't churches in every corner. There weren't lots of support. This was a life and death struggle. Should we hang on to Jesus? That's the background of Hebrews chapter 12. It's, and it's right after a chapter that some of you that were raised in Sunday school remember. It's called the Hall of Fame of Faith. The writer has just gone through challenging his readers. You've got to hang on to Jesus. Because all the men and women of faith in the Old Testament, beginning with Abraham, people like Moses, and going all the way through even the intertestamental period, all the suffering during the Maccabean revolt that ultimately ended up with the gift of Jesus being born in Bethlehem, the writer has just given verse after verse saying, hang in there. So that'll give you the context as we begin to introduce parenting. The very first thing that I think we need to understand as we think about parenting begins and ends with God is that God says this isn't going to be a short-distance sprint. As you live your life with your kids and as you're parenting your kids and when you're really parenting your kid is not just what you're doing this morning, but it's what you're going to do in your life as a person. That's one of the ideas we're going to come back to again and again and again. The values of your children are caught more than they're taught. It's the whole reality that's taking place in your own life. And one of the first things that you need to realize for yourself and also for your kids is that this is a long-distance race. Your parenting's going to never end. It's going to continue throughout the course of a whole lifetime. You don't suddenly say, well, I've had, I'm going to take a break from that. I've finished that. And we joked about 22, 30. The truth of the matter, it goes, you're going to still be influencing, still be parenting, still trying to help them to have an immediate relationship with God when they're in their 70s and you're in your 90s if the Lord gives you that many years. So let's look at this idea of life as a race in chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, 
Let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with patience the race marked out for us. Now this whole section is going to culminate down farther where it says that God is going to be our parents. If you look at verse 10, our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us. God child trains us for our good that we may share in his holiness. And that's the major idea that he's moving toward. He wants you to have this idea that you're not alone in your parenting, but the living God is the one that's really parenting you and he's really parenting our kids. And the, and the first point that he makes as he's moving towards that idea that actually God is the one that's parenting our kids and parenting us, is he begins by telling us that we're in this race. Notice he says that we're running a race that's going to take perseverance. Almost every morning when I drive to go to breakfast early in the morning, I see this guy that's out on the road, and he's sweating, and he's laboring, and you know he's got a great pace. It's old Tim Wallace over here. How many of you have ever seen Tim running? You see Tim runs all over the place. He's a marathoner. He stays in shape for all the rest of us. But, you know, one of the things I noticed is that Tim perseveres. In fact, sometimes, I mean, I went by him the other day. I stopped at the Methodist stoplight, and Tim ran right through the stoplight. He never saw me, never wavered, just stayed focused. He was focused on getting home. He was near the end of his race, and he was coming home. I want you to think of Tim when you think of your own life and what we're going to be doing with our kids. Parenting is a long-distance race. That's what the writer is saying. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. When you hold that little baby in your arms, the Lord has a race that's marked out for them, that's planned for them. The same word that she used when it talks about in the book of Ephesians that the Lord has a plan. He has good works that are designed for us. And Ephesians 1 talks about God working out everything according to the counsel of his will. Now, that's not just a theological principle. What it means is that you're rocking that little baby, that things aren't up just for grabs, things aren't just chance, that there's a loving personal father that delights in that child and has a purpose and has a plan. There's a course of life that's marked out for them. And it's going to take patience. It's going to be the course of an entire lifetime. It's not going to be like a 100-meter sprint. It's not going to be a guy that lifts a bunch of weights and is able to do a tremendous burst of speed or like a swimmer that can do just one lap of the pool and be the fastest man in the world. That's not what we're talking about. The picture here is the kind of races that Tim runs. And one of the things I notice when Tim runs is that he doesn't run with big, heavy combat boots or cowboy boots. He doesn't put on a big, heavy wool coat. In fact, even when it's cold, I'm saying, man, the guy's going to catch pneumonia because he's stripped just about all the weight off him. In fact, physically, the weight's off of Tim. There's not hardly an ounce of fat on him. Why? Long-distance runners. Look at the Olympics. When you look at the long-distance runner, did you notice? They don't have any extrinsic body fat. It's all gone. And they wear real light running clothes because anything is going to hinder us. So as we think about raising our kids, we think about parenting, the first thing that I want you to see is that life is a race. And I need to ask myself, and Mary needs to ask herself, in our family, and you need to ask yourself, what are the weights 
that are holding me down in this long distance race? What's holding me down? And he talks about the fact that there's going to be something in our life that might not necessarily be sinful, but there will be weights that are going to take me away from parenting. So one of the first things as mom and dad you need to begin to think about is I'm running this race, and we're going to talk about where that race is headed, where it's going, what we're trying to produce. I'd like you to start thinking about your schedule. What are some of the things in my schedule that could be weights that aren't really contributing to what I'm trying to do and to what God's trying to do with my kids. And there might be some things that are totally legitimate, totally good in themselves, but when you're running this long-distance race, they can become weights that hold me back. The second thing that he talks about is that there can be sin that so easily entangles us, especially when Tim's run a long-distance race and it gets near the end. The way that the ground is laid out is very important. In fact, a lot of times a runner will go and walk the course that they're going to run. And a lot of you know, lots of athletes do this. They'll go and walk through what they're going to be facing. And they memorize it because especially when you get tired, when there's unevenness in the ground or there's a rock in the ground, uh, that can cause you to sprain your ankle and you get hurt. And that's the idea that there's sin that can easily entangle us. It can trip us up and it can cause us to get wounded. And so if we begin thinking about parenting, we need to get really serious about which race we're running because the most important thing in passing on values to your kids is the values that you have and what you're living for. So if you have a lot of excess baggage with you and if you're carrying sinfulness in your life that you're not allowing the Lord to deal with, it's going to trip you up and then that strongly influences your kids. That's the picture that's here. I want to encourage you as you think about this race is that you're not in this race alone. A lot of you, maybe you've just moved into our area and you, you've moved you know, from maybe another part of the country and you feel like you're all alone. And so you feel like I'm trying to raise these kids by myself. That's not true. This text started out telling us about there's a great cloud of witnesses and let me give you the picture that when it talks here about we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. In the context... In the context, the great cloud of witnesses are all those Old Testament saints that he talked about in Hebrews chapter 11. And here's the picture. You're running this marathon race. This is our life right now. This is our time to shine. This is our time under the sun. And life is a great gift. It's our time to raise our kids. It's our time to run with them for Jesus. It pictures this taking place just like you saw in the Olympics. It was interesting back in the Greek, you know, in Athens, everything was back in the old context. And they even did some of the races and some of the athletic competitions in some of the old arenas. So you all have the picture. The modern arenas are just bigger versions of the old arenas. And so what you have is a bunch of spectators that are up in a, you know, an ascending staircase kind of a setting where they can look down and watch what's taking place in the run. And what I I want you to know is that the crowd that's watching you is not booing you and they're not rejecting you they're not discouraging you they are blessing you they're saying you can make it you see they've already run their race that's the picture here and when you open up your bible like if you think about raising your kids you say well why do we focus so much about you know getting to know the great accounts of the of the men and women of faith in the old testament why do our kids need to learn all these bible stories because those people are actually alive 
Those people have now already lived their life and they're already with the Lord and they, through their example, cheer us on. That's the idea. I want to make that broader because what the, the writer of, of Hebrews wants these first century saints to realize that they're connected with all those Old Testament saints. When you read like about Abraham, it's not just a pretend story. You're going to meet Abraham someday. You're going to see Abraham someday. When you read the great stories of Daniel, you're going to meet Daniel and it changes the way you teach those stories. It changes the way you, you receive an example from those stories. If you, if you think this is really really true. This really happened. And if I were to die and I've trusted Jesus as my Savior, I'm going to be with a Joseph from the stories of Genesis. That's what the writer of Hebrews wants us to grasp a hold of. I also want to understand that in our own church family that we have an arena of spectators that are cheering us on that have provided examples. And that are those in our own group that have gone on. Like right here in Midlothian Bible Church. And we have those that, that, that began our church family as just a little small group. And they trusted Jesus. Like guys like Al Bauckham and uh, Bill Venable and Tommy Hobson. Some of those that were, some of you that are new to our church don't know those men, but they're now home with Jesus. And they were the ones that met in original Bible studies in the very small groups. And they made decisions to trust in Jesus and to believe that this book was going to be the answer and to believe that to have real praise and worship and to really connect with God in prayer and to really try to go back and build our church family on the word of God. They made commitments of faith. That's what we're going to do. You can look at their life. You can ask, well, what are the decisions that Tommy made as a young man? How did he live his life and where did it end up? What were the good things that God really blessed? What were some of the, the entanglements that, that held you back? And that's why I want all of you that are older in our congregation, you need to be here because you witness, you witness to the younger ones about this gray cloud of witnesses that's surrounding us. One of the things that's really concerned me in the modern world is that we cut ourselves off across the generations. Because we're scattered around the country, it's easy not to have the advice of older, mature believers. And I thank God my own kids have chosen to identify with bodies of Christ in their area and to expose themselves to the extended body. But I want you to get this picture here. The writer of Hebrews wants you to understand that you're not by yourself as you run this race. That you have believers that are older than you. Like if you're a brand new mother, you know what? You're not the first mother that had a little baby. And you're not the first mother that had a baby with colic. You're not the first mother that had a baby that just won't ever settle down. You're not the first young couple that struggled on Sunday morning and your kids are wiggling all over the place. You don't know what to do. Nothing's brand new about all that. If the pastor teacher, I'm thrilled to death to have your kids wiggle while I preach. And to make noise while I preach and to color while I preach. I'm really serious about that. You say, why is that? Because that's what I did. And a lot of what you hear comes because my mom and dad didn't get uptight about that. They didn't tell me that I shouldn't be there. They didn't lock me up in some other place. Because a lot of what I heard, like, you know, my mom probably thought I was in another planet. But I heard in the midst of all the wiggling, kids learn while they wiggle. Kids learn while they're doing a million other things. How many of you as parents know that? 
And it's all part of what Hebrews is saying, that we're not in this by ourselves. And the place where we should get the greatest advice is in the extended family of God. So that's what I want to see. I want you to see, first of all, that life is a race, and you're going to be parenting that little baby until when they're six years of age, you're still going to be parenting. Second of all, we need to get our eyes on the target. What's the target? As you run a race, any of you know that running, if you know anything about the history of running, there's been a whole lot of track stars that because they took their eyes off the finish line, they ended up losing the race. Because the way track is, when you're running, you don't have a total vision of the track. And when you're coming down towards the end, if you turn your head just like that, the person can go right on by you and you take your eyes. Or you can stumble. You know, if you don't keep your eyes focused on the target, you can stumble. And that's the next thing that the writer talks to us about in verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the author, the beginner, in other words, the the foundational one, the one that laid the foundation, the one who did this first. And he's also the completer. He's the beginner of the race, and he's the completer. The idea of perfecter is the idea that he completed this race, and it's of faith. It's of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The first thing that I want you to think about as a parent, it's going to be a long-distance race. The second of all, the prize, the goal that we're headed for is Jesus himself, and we keep our eyes upon him. Look at it. Let us fix our eyes upon Jesus. Why should we do that? Because he's the author, he's the one that began this life of faith. In fact, the writer of Hebrews wants you to know, when he says he talks about Jesus being the author of faith, he's saying Jesus is the one that authored Abraham's faith. He's the one that worked in Abraham's faith at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 11, going way back to the Genesis stories, and he's saying that Jesus authored that faith in his life. And then Jesus perfected him. It was Jesus working in Abraham's life as the second person of the Trinity that enabled Abraham to grow out of his lying, to wait for the promised child Isaac to come, and then eventually to make that incredible step of faith where he was even willing to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. And the Lord stopped him and gave the great promise of redemption to Abraham. What the writer of Hebrews wants you to know is he believes that Jesus was actively at work. So when you're reading the Old Testament, it's not divorced from Jesus. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity that is working in the lives of all those people. What the writer of Hebrews in the first century is saying is that same Jesus is authoring faith in your life. And then he's perfecting that faith. And once again, we have this idea. Remember I said parenting begins and ends with God? What I want you to be thinking of is day by day, you are working with Jesus, and Jesus is creating faith. He's initiating it, and then he's perfecting it, and he's going to complete it. And that's one of the greatest joys. So as you begin to work with your little children, from the time that they're little babies, Jesus is much more involved in their life than you are. Jesus is much more active in their life than you are. Jesus is seeking, because he's not willing that any should perish, Jesus is going to work with our children to generate faith in their life. Now, the mystery of this is that God doesn't bulldoze us, and some of us will choose to walk away, and we're going to be talking about that in the coming weeks. Like it's not a mechanical thing. Every one of our kids is going to have to make decisions about what Jesus seeks to do in their life. And we want to be alert to what's happening in their heart. 
and the relationship to Jesus. And we also have to realize that ultimately we can't control that because that's part of the mystery of the fact that we're made in God's image and we can make a choice. But what Hebrews is saying is that when people come to faith, Jesus was the one that authored that faith in their life. And if you'll think about when you were saved, like as I look back over my life when I was saved, if I listen carefully and I think about it carefully, I can hear Jesus' voice and how he's moving me to faith and he's moving me to make certain decisions. Anybody identify with any of that? What the writer of Hebrews is saying is that Jesus is the one who authors our faith and then causes it to grow. One of the most important things I'm going to emphasize to you again and again and again is that a key to parenting is living in that nearness of Jesus and living as if Jesus were right there. And we want to grow in that as a church family. Now, as we follow Jesus, Jesus is not only creating our faith and then perfecting it, but he's also already lived where we live. That's one of the great things about the God that we worship is we don't just worship an, a, a God that is spirit, that's never experienced human life, never was born, never you know, had his diapers changed, never had to grow and learn to walk and all that things. When you talk to the, to the Savior, Jesus has gone through all of that. The writer of Hebrews, though, focuses on the major goal of Jesus' life, which was the cross. Look what it says. It says, Who for the joy that was set before him. Now this is real important as we think about getting our eyes focused upon Jesus. As you're training your kids about intimacy with Jesus, the very first thing that you need to really nail in your life is that when you serve Jesus and you follow Jesus and you live close to Jesus, it ultimately ends up in total joy. Let's say that again. One thing you need to really nail down in your life, if you follow Jesus and you live close to Jesus, you ultimately end up in total joy. God is about total, complete, celebrating, intoxicating joy. How many of you want to end up totally happy, rejoicing, smiling, laughing? Okay? That's really important. You say, why do you say that? Because at the heart of God, when you read the Word of God, when sin has been dealt with, and all the suffering is gone, and all the death is removed, you don't end up in a place where everyone's sad, and everyone's bored, and everyone's, you know, saying, when will this time of intimacy with God the Father, when will that end? This is the most incredibly lousy thing I've ever done. And yet, one of Satan's biggest tricks, and it's deep inside your children's hearts, and it's deep inside your heart, you think you can find joy away from him. Anybody ever experienced that? One of the biggest, most subtle, destructive things is that from the time you're just a little bitty kid, you begin to think joy, real joy, is what I can find, what I can do. And I need to get away from God to do it. And so one of our major goals in parenting is to raise our kids attacking that lie. Jesus is the one that will give you joy. Jesus is the one that's going to give you the fun and the celebration. Man, some of you might have walked in this morning, we got kids, you know, nah, 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 nah. Some of you, you know, you say, man, what in the world? You know, from your background, goodness gracious, you know, this is terrible. And, and God's frowning and he's really upset. I can't believe that they're doing that in the holy sanctuary. This isn't a holy sanctuary. This is the family of God. 
Jesus Christ tore down the veils. Jesus Christ has opened the doorway into his hallway. In the New Testament, Jesus again and again, when he wants to picture the kingdom, he talks about Jewish weddings. At Jewish weddings, go to one. They go, na, 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 na. Only go, hava, nagila, hava. They do a lot of other stuff. God is not like you think he is. And one of the major things that we need to cross, because some of you wandered away from Jesus because you were convinced that Jesus was good, but he killed your joy. We want our kids to have joy here. We want our kids to have the biggest excitement, the biggest fun, pure, holy, free of intoxicating beverages, free of drugs, but totally filled with joy. But some of you could use some good, uncontrollable laughter. <laughs> Jesus is ultimately taking us to joy. But before you get there, before you get there, you need to be willing to go through the cross. And this is one of the most important things to, in, in parenting. Most of us of American parents are doing every single thing that we can do to keep our kids from pain. Almost all of you deep involved in your commitment is you want to do everything you can to keep your kids from any kinds of suffering. And one of the things we want to begin to think about together as a believer is in this present world, how do we grow? How do you get a person to move from here and to learn and to get there? Jesus was looking forward to the joy. He knew where it was going to end up, but he endured the cross. Look at that phrase there. He endured the cross he despised the shame and suffering that was there, scorning its shame. So he had to go through the cross, and he was willing to take ridicule. He was willing to take abuse. If you're going to raise your kids to follow Jesus, you need to be raising them understanding that ultimately God gives us great joy, and he's the source of happiness because that's what his character is. But on the way, as we're moving towards that joy, there's going to be some really tough times of suffering. There's going to be some really hard tests. And what we can be confident of because of the cross is that ultimately it's going to be all right. And we train our kids like that. From the time that they're just little tiny babies, we help, we help them understand God is a source of joy. But right now, we live in a world where there's a great war going on, and it's like we're getting our kids ready to be Marines, that we're getting them ready to face an enemy, and the enemy's going to start attacking them when they're real young, and part of that's going to be they're going to be ridiculed because they are committed to Jesus. We've got to get them ready to be able to be teased and scorned and to face disdain. We need to be able to do that. We also need to cause them to realize that just because we love Jesus doesn't mean that we don't face like we don't we suddenly like Marilyn and Larry we're coasting along they're a great time in their life the Joneses where they have their house and things are going along really well and wham they suddenly get a report Marilyn has a brain tumor that's about the heaviest news you can get what this text is saying is that our father is not trying to destroy us He's trying to take us to a deeper level with him. We can look for his hand in this. We can learn about his grace. And that's what we're learning about all as a church family. And that's what it means, this idea of following Jesus to the cross. It doesn't mean that you, you need to pay for your sins. It doesn't mean that you in any way can do that. But what in the writer of Hebrews is telling us, as you decide to follow Jesus, just like God the Father disciplined him, 
and trained him and matured him through the things he suffered, you're going to face that same thing. The next thing that the writer does is go into the book of Proverbs. It says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The danger when you're running this long-distance race, and Tim will tell you, as you're running that long-distance race, when you first start out, you feel really, really good. But as you run longer and longer and longer, like when he runs a marathon, when he gets about 18, 19, 21 miles, depending upon the course, when you get into that final push, just before you go over that crest where you're going to head towards the 26th mile, there's a wall that you hit. And that's the wall when you even saw Olympic world-class athletes just quit. That was it. It was over. The writer of Hebrews is concerned that we hit that wall, that we, that we are focused upon Jesus, but we run out of gas. And he's saying, don't do that. You need to persevere in this race. You need to keep on going. And the idea is, like, if Tim was going to train you to run a marathon, what he's going to tell you is, yeah, there's great joy at the end. It's incredible when your friends celebrate with you. It's great to be able to eat a great big meal and again and rejoice when you're all done. But I want you to know about 20 miles in, it's going to be like, you know what? It's going to be painful. You're like, everything inside of you is going to cry. I cannot take another second. And Tim's going to say, yeah, I've been there, I've done it, you can do this. You can keep on going. In fact, a lot of times, you know, like with some of our guys in the church that wanted to do this, he ran with them right through that period. And he's right at their side saying, come on, don't quit now. Keep on going. You've got to keep on going. We can do this. That's what Jesus is telling us that he can do. The cool thing about all this is that the ultimate daddy, which is where we started out with, the writer of Hebrews breaks out of this focus upon Jesus to remind us of an incredible truth from the Old Testament. And it's a verse from Proverbs where he says, My son, this is a quote from Proverbs 3, verse 11. My son, do do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone as the son that he accepts. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is that as I'm parenting Jonathan, Joel, Joshua, and Janae, that actually he's parenting them. And I'm I'm really serious about that. What these verses are going to claim is that God the Father, the ultimate Father in heaven, the creator of heaven and earth, we have a personal God who is, is actually training. He's child training. This word for discipline means that he's child training. He's child training each one of us, and our kids are included in that. He is child training it, and he's doing it for our good. And I want you to look at it because he uses the analogy. I want you to think back. I want you to think back over your upbringing. And I want you to think about how your father and how your mom child trained you. We learned today that we're in a long-distance race. It's going to last for a whole lifetime. We need to keep our eyes focused upon Jesus. It's going to involve struggle, unlike what the modern culture tells us. You need to try to raise your kids just to be happy and self-fulfilled. Instead, you need to teach them to be disciplined and to train them to be willing to face suffering in hard times. And it's ultimately going to produce holiness. I preached a message on this years and years ago on a Father's Day. I said, my kids can grow up to go to Ivy League schools, my kids can grow up and have lots of money, which they have gone to Ivy League school, but they haven't had lots of money. But I said, all those things can happen, but if they're not godly, it's all been in vain. And that's what I want you to begin to think about. If you're a parent, or if you want to be a parent someday, or if you're a grandparent, 
Take some time this week and think through some of the goals that you have for your kids. And I just jotted out some goals. I also, I would like you to, to write down as you interact with other couples, ask them what their goal is for their kids. I wrote out some of those things. I want them to be successful in athletics. I want them to do well academically so they can go on to university and get a good job and be secure financially. I want them to take over my business. I just want them to be happy and to find love. These are some of the goals that we have for our kids. But if you aren't sure where you're headed with your children, simply look at your schedule this week and your children's schedule, and it will objectively reveal which race you're heading. Then think about what God's goals are for your kids. We mentioned Hebrews 12.10 says that he wants our children to be holy, to be like him in their character. This is the eternal treasure that only Jesus can give. That I want us to help each other. I really would want you to take an honest look at what you're actually doing with your kids. And I'd also like you as husbands and wives to sit down and figure out where are we going with our kids? Because a lot of us, you know, we had the baby, now the baby's growing, and I want you to know it seems like yesterday that Jonathan was little, and now he's a totally grown man. And it happens just like that. Really, where are you going with your kids? Mickey Mantle's father loaded his bassinets with baseballs. Really, right after he was born, he put several, not enough to smother him, but he put a bunch of baseballs. Where was Mickey Mantle's daddy going with Mickey? Okay? And the cool thing about that is Bobby Richardson that played baseball with Mickey Mantle in the world championship teams, Bobby's father led him to Jesus. And throughout the course of a whole lifetime, Bobby said, Mickey, baseball's not going to be enough. Baseball's not going to be enough. Baseball's not going to be enough. And Mickey, for year after year after year, said, oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. But when Mickey was dying in Baylor Hospital, Bobby came again. He'd been his friend all through the years. Bobby came again right here in Dallas and says, Mickey, baseball's not going to be enough. And this time, Mickey said, you know what, Bobby? You're right. And I need Jesus. And so he finally got his eyes, by God's grace, focused on Jesus, the finisher of our faith. As I close your day, like, I never told Josh to study Hebrew. I'm serious. In my whole life, in fact, if you would have asked me in my wildest dreams, will Joshua Wurtson study Hebrew and like it, I would have told you, absolutely not. Rock guitar player, basketball player, some other things. A dropout, yes. <laughs> he called me up. Laura's talking to Mary. He said, Mary, Joshua has his glasses over his nose. Horace, he looks just like his dad. And he is surrounded with Hebrew books. And that's what he's doing. And that's what I want you to think through. I like I, what you do in your everyday schedule. In my life, one of the things I do is I study Hebrew. That was one of the, the things I did. And that's how your kids catch values. What we want to try to do is to think through what are the actions in my life as a mom and dad this week? What are my actions? Because that's what your kids are going to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Just awesome, Father, that you are involved in all the details of our life. I thank you, Lord, that you can use this letter that one of your servants wrote to the Hebrew Christians. And it uses this incredible metaphor of life being a journey of race that we're on. I'd ask you that your Holy Spirit would help 
us even more as a group of individuals, as moms and dads, as extended families, to fix our eyes upon Jesus. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.